How to influence the behavior of your customer with nudging and other psychological marketing tactics. Welcome to the Better Different Podcast. Hi there, my name is Dennis van der Locht and this is the Better Different Podcast, the show on a mission to kill mediocrity in marketing and branding. Today we are going to listen to Dirkje van der Ven, who is an expert in influencing the behavior of consumers. She is the co-owner of a company called Shift Behavioral Change and we had a great conversation on a lot of different subjects concerning marketing psychology and how our brains work. So if you're an entrepreneur or marketer and wants to know all the psychological tactics to build the best campaign, you should definitely listen to this episode. We talk about nudging, the intentional behavior gap and how to avoid it, cognitive dissonance and all the tricks in the book of car salesmen and booking.com. And yes, we managed to produce yet another episode without any kind of sponsorship. So we would really appreciate it if you could return the favor by giving us a bunch of stars in your review on iTunes, Stitcher or whatever app you are using to listen to this episode. If you have tips, feedback or guest suggestions, including yourself, please let me know at dennis at thebetterdifferent.com or on Twitter at Dennis Vidialo. Alright, without further ado, here's the interview with Dirkje van der Ven on influencing customer behavior. Hi Dirkje. Hi. Can you tell a little bit about yourself and your company Shift? Yes, uh, my name is Dirkje van der Ven. Um, I'm an expert in behavior change. I graduated three years ago and I got my master's degree in behavior change. Um, and three years ago we thought Let's start our own business. Let's let's make a change in the world. So we started Shift. Uh, Shift is a company that uh, consults bigger organizations and the government about behavior change. You could think of um, environmental behavior, making people recycle their their waste. Uh, or um, my own specialty is road safety. Uh, so try to make people uh, leave their phones alone when they're driving. For example, uh, those kinds of behavior change cases is, is, is what we work, at, work on uh, mostly. And uh, sometimes we also try to, to incorporate behavior change uh, knowledge into the marketing world. Mm-hmm. Um, in advertising, for example, and that, that's also a really, really, really exciting part of our job. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, what are the techniques that you use a lot? What we'll be talking about today is nudging. Yes. Can you explain to the listeners what is nudging and how do you use it? Well, nudging is mostly a very popular term for the, the techniques we are we're already using. Um, nudging is defined as a change in behavior by, by changing the environment or the context of that behavior without making people do what you want them to do. So you don't want to force them into one type of behavior. You just want to... Um, to, to nudge, <laughs> that's why they call it nudging. You want to nudge them into into the behavior you want to see. Mm-hmm. It's it's more like helping, not not pushing. All right. Um, do you have an example about that? I read that you did an experiment here in uh, the city of Nijmegen at the biggest roundabout, I think, of the Netherlands, um, to steer the behavior of uh, bikers. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes. Um, my colleague and I um, bike to work every day and. Uh, at that specific point, she turns right. Uh, I have to go straight uh, to my house. And the, the cyclists who, who continue their, their journey um, along the roundabout, they block the way from, for the people who want to turn right. So cyclists who want to turn right don't get enough space to do so. 
and that leads to sometimes very uh, annoying or even dangerous uh, situations for the cyclists in Nijmegen. Yeah, because a lot of people are standing still and other people are going really fast and trying to make the turn and go through the grass yes. and stuff like that. Yeah, they almost crash into each other. Yeah, <laughs> I've been there, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so they, they use uh, the they bike on the grass uh, or, or they just uh, stop and mm -hmm. wait until the, the biggest mass of cyclists is, is gone. But yeah. It, it wasn't efficient in any way, so we tried try to uh, to work out a solution for that. And um, we, well, we had a little brainstorm, and and one of the things you thought of was just trying to separate uh, the 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 cyclists, the, yeah. the ones who want to continue their journey, and the ones who want to turn right. Yeah. So you wanted to split the lane. Yes, we wanted yeah. to split the lane. Um, and that's exactly what we did, but we didn't have any paint <laughs> to draw the white lines with the, the heavier, but we did have white duct tape, so we, we bought, a, uh, bought some duct tape and, um, well, we used our phone to film this, uh, and our intern filmed part of it as well, because, we, well, some part we had to apply the duct tape to the road. Sure. Uh, and, and we, uh, well, basically drew a line about one and a half meters in, um, uh, to separate both lanes, and we mm -hmm. made some arrows too to accompany them, and it worked. <laughs> you could see that Im immediately when the when the line was yeah when, when we put the duct tape on the road, um, there was a really clear separation of cyclists, and no one was bothering each other anymore. But these are people. These are people on bikes who are I think. When Dutch people get on the bikes, they are as rude as possible because they think they own the road. Yes. I mean, if you've ever been to Holland, uh, uh, that's the case. What's out for everybody on the bike? Um, but just a small piece of duct tape changed their behavior. Why, why did a piece of duct tape change their behavior? Because they are also uh, always standing, using the full lane. And yes. now just a piece of duct tape made them uh, uh, stay on one side of the lane. How does that work in our brains? Why do we do that? Well, we people always tend to, to uh, take some distance from lines. Mm -hmm. That's wh what you do when you're driving. You don't drive on the line. You mm -hmm. stay away from it. And uh, people automatically choose which lane is theirs. Yeah. So they will keep some distance from the line. That's not always the case because it's very busy. But in general, they do. And, and that makes the separation really easy. makes for so much more room for the people who want to turn around to do so. Yeah. And, but I think it works even better than putting up a sign. If you put up a sign, watch out, leave some space for people who want to turn right, I think that wouldn't have been a success as a piece of duct tape. Wouldn't you agree? I agree, but the piece of duct tape is a solution which applies to automatic uh, and, and unconscious behavior instead of conscious behavior in, mm -hmm. in which you have to think about what you're going to do. And thinking about what we're going to do is not something that people do when they are in uh, well, busy cycling. It's it's so it's such an automatic process that yeah. you don't really think when you do it, especially not the Dutch. <laughs> I can imagine. In our uh, preparation, we were talking about uh, automatic behavior and conscious behavior, and we were talking about Daniel Kahneman and his book Thinking Fast and Slow, about uh, our brain has two systems. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, it's exact, exactly what we... Um, meant to say when we talked about conscious and unconscious behavior. Yeah. Our brain has two systems of deciding what we're going to do. And the, the first system, system one, is the one um, we use most of the time. And it's, it's not something people like to hear, but about 95% of our behavior is automatic or unconscious, or is at least not really based on, on well, logic. 
Uh, system two, however, is very logic. And, well, you base your behavior on simple arguments, and it's very rational, uh, but almost none of our behavior is that rational. Mm -hmm. So we tend to use system one about 95% of the time. Uh, and what that means for us is that we base everything we do on things we see around us, or things that are built into our system, mm -hmm. um, and not on, on something that could be the rational type of behavior. And is that where biases come from? Yes. All yes. right, and stereotypes and, and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. it's auto automatic, you can't yeah. help it. Yeah. You can train though, you can train to, uh, to make more rational decisions, um, but it's almost undoable. It takes, uh, the, well, the, the theory is um, making rational decisions uh, costs lots and lots of energy. Yeah. We don't have that much, en much energy on one day yeah. to think of everything we do. Imagine you, you have to be at a supermarket and you have to think of everything uh, in the supermarket market um will i buy it or, or won't i buy it that's exhausting yeah it's it's impossible to get through your day if, if that's what you got to do of when you're walking down the street and thinking about every person will he or she attack me or not yes no you just think okay everybody is safe but when a guy runs up to you and tries to punch you you duck automatically you don't yes. think is he going to hit me no you you you, you duck away um is that your system one reacting there? Yeah, so whenever you're in a hurry uh, or uh, the decision is not that important or you're emotional uh, or someone's pushing you to make a decision right away, mm -hmm. you use system one. Uh, also, when you're tired, you use system one uh, again. And, and that's why, uh, for example, the, the chocolate bars are at the end of the supermarket journey. Yeah. It's because we're exhausted from making all these other decisions about what we're going to eat today, what, what will we have for dessert. And then you're at the end of your, your journey and, and there's that chocolate bar and you've already made so many decisions, you've used up so much of your energy. Most yeah. of the times you're, you're doing your grocery shopping at the end of the day, sure. which makes it, you even more tired. And then the chocolate bar hops into your basket and you can't help it. This market is now it gets really interesting because when you when you start building a campaign or trying uh, to do an, an, an advertising campaign or something like that or anything you actually can do to make people buy your stuff, what are the things you should avoid and what are the things you should do to make sure uh, you influence the right system in the brain of the people? Because I think most marketers think that their clients are making rational decisions yes. because uh, we humans, we like to think that we are rational people. And we make our own decisions. Um, but like you just said, it's most often it's not the case. So how do we influence that system one, that automatic behavior to make a decision, I'm going to purchase this? Well, the thing you should avoid in that is that you should um, assume that people are rational in any way when they're make, making that kind of decisions. Because mm -hmm. uh, it might be <laughs> important to the salesman, but the decision is not often that important to, to the buyer himself. We tend to, to assume that um, when we're just telling people how good our product is uh, or how bad they need them, that mm -hmm. they're willing to buy it. But there's so much more than that. And I think most marketers should uh, realize that there's so much to discover there in the more unconscious system, the automatic system, um, yeah, to stimulate people's buying behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for instance, I'm trying to buy a car. And the salesman said, this is a really good car and it drives really fast and it, it's, it's a really nice color. That's all what the, the salesman think is good about the car. But mm -hmm. that really doesn't speak to our uh, automatic system, right? No. 
what would you advise the car salesman to say? Well, the car salesmen are very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they need my tips, but what they do is they, they put some pressure on. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's, that's one of the key techniques that most salesmen use is mm -hmm. uh, what if we can shorten the time for people to make a decision so yeah. they have to make more irrational decisions. So they uh, come with an offer that only lasts for one day mm -hmm. uh, or they, um, um, they tell them that there's only a couple of cars available left. Yeah. That's also a, a very good technique to use. Kind of mean though, but they <laughs> <laughs> it's what they do. Um, <laughs> what they also do is uh, something that that uh, stuck to me ever since I heard about car sales. Yeah. <laughs> so they use a technique called low balling. When people like a car, mm -hmm. they know it. They know it before they they get into the in the room. They make a test drive and they know this is their car yeah. most of the times because they've already done their research. They know uh, somewhat. Um, what they want and the point of sale is is when they are already kind of yeah. decided yeah. that they're going to do it yeah it has to do with branding and uh, the pressure etc etc but sure. what the salesman does next is they they and not all of men do this i hope but <laughs> some do is they they try to negotiate a price mm -hmm. uh, and they're um, trying to be as nice as possible so they like each other. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, some feelings of reciprocity. Okay, I'll give you a better price if you buy this car today. Sure. And then, and then they come to a price, which is actually quite low for for this car. And, yeah. and, and he says, okay, I'm going to try this for you. Let me just check with your boss. And that's the point where you already mentally have said yes to this car because you've said yes to the car for that price. Yeah. But you've already said yes mm -hmm. in your head because you've come to agreement. Then he comes back, says, sorry, my manager doesn't approve of this price. <laughs> oh We'd have God. to get a little higher. So you've already said yes. Yeah. And, well, you, you've already attached your car. It's already yours in your head, so you can't say no anymore. Yeah. So that's why you agree to a higher price. Oh, my God. And that's how it actually works. That's how it works sometimes. But I, I've, ha I've never had that experience. But yeah. I know that it's a trick that people use. But to be honest, a lot of this stuff is also applicable to the online travel business. Because I yeah. recognize a lot of those tricks. I yeah. mean, the scarcity trick from Booking.com, where <laughs> yeah. they say there's still three rooms left. And there are like 50 people watching this uh, hotel room at the moment. And in the last 24 hours, 100 people booked this room. Maybe not in the time that you were looking to go, but, but still. Mm -hmm. um, and also, the, uh, like you said, uh, at Ryanair. They're, they're famous for, no, it's just 99, of 99 euros to fly to, uh, to Rome. But then you click on it and there's added cost for that and added cost for that. But you're already, like you said, it's a lowballing technique, made the decision to go and to fly. Yes. And then, oh, well, what's another 10 euros? What's another 20 euros for this? Yeah, okay, we also want to check in early. Um, yeah, so they come up with all, all these kinds of things you, you fear, like, oh my God, what if we don't sit next to each other? Or uh, <laughs> what if I can't fit anything in my suitcase? And well, they do anything to make you buy more. Yeah. It's very clever. So, so more pressure uh, gets results. Yeah. It's not ethical, but it gets results. So uh, making something more scarce or, uh, uh, or fear is a really good driver, like, like you said, for people yeah. to make decisions. It's not the most nice driver. But <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I booked a, a vacation two days ago with my friend, and she said, um, 
oh my god there's someone looking at this room right now we have to book right away <laughs> so yeah. i told her no that's just the trick they use it's probably true because it would be unethical to lie about that yeah but uh, they frame it in a way that makes it seem so much more uh important than it actually is yeah yeah but uh, and and one of the, the the coolest thing i think is um they scare you all of the time. Or first they say, this is beautiful, and you see beautiful pictures, and you yes. want to get it. They, they, uh, then you are considering, I might get it, and then everything is red, and everything is bouncy and screaming. Mm -hmm. And except for the parts when you, uh, where you click to book, there it says, you'll be safe if you click this, something yes. like that, I don't know. Uh, it will, it's very secure to, so they really scare you and say, well, if you just click this button, everything, your life will be all right. Yeah, they create a problem, and yeah. then offer you the best solution they can. Yeah, <laughs> okay. They actually ask more money for more security. Yeah. Because you can always cancel it as long as you just pay more. Yeah, and, that, and this is all just to mess with our automatic behavior system. Yeah, they know exactly how we work. I was reading on your website, you have a really cool blog. It's in Dutch, but for anyone in Holland who's reading this... Uh, Please call uh, me, I'll, I'll translate. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Um, but I, I was reading about the intention behavior uh, gap, uh, where you say, um, look at when you just try to create awareness. And a lot of marketers are in the business of creating awareness. They say, well, if people know a brand, they will, they will buy it. But awareness is not enough to uh, actually change the behavior of people. Can you talk a little bit about the intention behavior gap? Yeah, what awareness does is it makes the brand go top of mind. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, let's go a little biological. What, what it does, it makes some, uh, we have these neural connections between a, 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 yeah, different kind of brands and, and their products they sell. And, mm -hmm. and brand awareness does it, it makes those neural connections a little warmer, a little more active. So whenever we search for some product, mm -hmm. that, that brand pops up so much easier because it's already warm, because we've warmed up to that brand because we've heard it a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why brand awareness is very important, but that's not the thing that sells it. It's the first thing that comes to mind, which is good because, yeah. well, when it pops up so many times, it must be good, so it works. Yeah. Um, is that how the brain works? I've seen it a lot of times, so it must be good? Yes. All right. It's, that's also called a mere exposure effect. They've actually done an experiment uh, in which they showed uh, the, the subject of that experiment, mm -hmm. uh, a Chinese sign. Mm -hmm. um, and they showed them, showed them a couple of times. And uh, they found out that when you saw a Chinese sign, you didn't understand, you didn't know anything about what, what that meant. But yeah. the people who saw it many, many times mm -hmm. actually liked the sign better than the people who saw it only once. Just so, because they saw it before. Yeah, it seems familiar, so it must be good. All right, so that's about brand awareness. Yeah, but that's not enough. No. <laughs> <laughs> but for some it is, if your brand awareness is very good. But yeah. you can, for example, look at Coca-Cola. They have mm -hmm. very high brand awareness. Sure. But next to that, they have worked for years and years uh, on trying to associate Coca-Cola with happiness. Yeah. And that, that's their brand. They did that so well that mm -hmm. now Coca-Cola is automatically associated with happiness so much that people are willing to pay more for that little bit of happiness that <laughs> maybe doesn't even exist. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not rational. It's not rational, but it works. Yeah. And is that the way how they, uh, they change the actual behavior? So it's the awareness, it's Coca-Cola, and it's the happiness feeling that is associated because of advertising, stuff like that, that actually changes our behavior, that makes us buy it. 
Well, it makes people more likely to buy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you talked about the intention behavior gap earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what that means is that sometimes we can form an intention to do something. So that's that's mostly the case in environmental behavior. Okay, I'll mm -hmm. save uh, save up energy. I'll, I'll save the planet. Uh, I'll recycle my my waste. Yeah. Uh, I'll do anything. And people are really willing to do s things for the for for the environment, but. Um, when it comes to actually doing that, we see a gap between the intention they have to do it and the behavior itself. Mm -hmm. So people who want to do something not not always do it. And the most um, well recognizable example of that is that every year people make new uh, New Year's resolutions. Sure. Okay, this time I'm really going to work out more. <laughs> uh, well, how many times do people actually... Uh, uh, stick to those New Year's resolutions throughout the year. Yeah, almost they, never. Almost never, but they did have the intention to do it, but the behavior didn't follow. And that's because um, there are certain types of barriers that, that could stop the behavior from mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. For example, well, trying to work out more mm -hmm. um, yeah, costs a lot of energy, it costs money. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, you'd have to change your whole routine. Mm -hmm. And people are not really... Um, comfortable with doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. You'd have to have a little bit of more of a push. And how do you research those barriers? How do you find them out? Um, well, the most important thing is just to, to talk to people. Well, they will come up with some barriers themselves. Mm. They will say, okay, well, uh, I'd like to save energy, but when it's cold outside, <laughs> I'd like to warm up. And that's when we say, uh, okay, just just put on a vest, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> put on a, a sweater and, and yeah. you'll get warmer. Uh, but that's not always um, right for them. So you have to, to research what, are, what exactly is, uh, is what stop, what's stopping them. And sometimes it's not that rational, it's psychological. Um, you have different types of psychological barriers that mm -hmm. could appear when, you, when you're changing behavior. And one of the, the types that are is, is underestimated uh, most of the times yeah. is that uh, it's called reactance. It's when we try to change people's behavior, they don't like it when you try to push them in a certain way. So um, they actually block themselves from changing behavior. And mm -hmm. just because they they have this feeling that they're they're losing their freedom to choose for themselves. Yeah. And that's what Booking.com does yeah. to me when I'm yeah. booking a, a holiday. Yeah. Um, it's, it's people uh, trying to get their freedom back by not changing their behavior. Yeah, no, exactly. no, I'm in control, so I'm not changing my behavior. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you're not telling me what to do. Yeah, I make my own decisions. Yes. Yeah. We'd like to make our own decisions, please. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what people do automatically, and I can't blame them because autonomy is very important for humans. Mm, sure. But what it does is it makes the, the behavior change process a lot more difficult than it uh, has to be, and mm -hmm. there's really simple solutions to, to, to overcome this type of psychological resistance and uh, even prevent it. Okay, so when you found those barriers, so you did the research, you talked to your clients, and they say, well, uh, I don't want to work out because, uh, because it costs a lot of money or um, it costs a lot of energy. What's the next step? Because like you said, you can't just push people into, into doing it. How no. do you persuade them? How do you change your language? So how do you come up with a solution to that when you found 
a barrier? Well, um, you need to know what exactly that barrier is. So you mm. need to know that you're working on the right barrier because mm. you can say it costs too much, yeah. but especially with sports, is well, that's not most of the times. That's not the reason. It's it's right. uh, the changing your routine, or um, it's that people are unsure uh, if 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 it will fit in their schedule or. Uh, if they're, it's going to work out for them anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what you could do is is well, first of all, try to to find out what exactly it is that scares them mm-hmm. uh, or withholds them from uh, from their behavior, and and try to find a solution to, to that. I can mm-hmm. imagine that um, a gym could offer a free trial period, so mm-hmm. people can well get used to to working out m- more often. Uh, yeah. Or the well. They, you actually f- almost physically lower the barriers to, to try it out. And yeah. as, as soon as it is in our system, it will stay in our system. So What you're saying is they shouldn't use a discount, what a lot of uh, markets do. It's, it's not that expensive and it's n- probably not the price, but uh, they should have a planner with them. We are going to help you plan your activities around your schedule, something like that. Like and, and a personal trainer uh, who advises you what kind of exercises are right for you so uh, you don't get injuries as much. It's, it's more stuff like that to take away the fears of the people. Yeah, if, if that's what the fears are, then yeah, yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know. But I didn't do the we research. Don't know. But <laughs> yeah, we don't know. But yeah. It could be different in every single uh, town. Okay, um, now let's talk about cognitive dissonance. Can you explain what that is and uh, what marketers should look out for to avoid that? Well, I don't know if you should avoid it. It's, it's actually one of the funniest things humans do. Yeah. Cognitive dissonance um, is based on the system that we have that we tend to think after we act. Mm-hmm. So when we act a certain way, uh, for example, we've just subscribed to a newsletter because there was some annoying salesman who really, really wanted us to su- subscribe to, to their newsletter. Yeah. Um, afterwards, we we try to rationalize what we just did. Mm-hmm. So what people do is they they start to think, oh, but I must really like this newsletter. I really want to know what's in it. Because that's they why make... that's why I applied. Yeah. <laughs> so we think after we did something to justify what we just did. Mm-hmm. And what that means for marketers is that. Um, well, people assume that it's the other way around, they, that people think and then act. But sometimes yeah. we can make people act and think afterwards. All right. Is that the case? Because sometimes when a friend buys something, they, uh, uh, a friend of mine bought the new iPhone X and it's really expensive. And on a rational level, there's no reason to buy an iPhone X instead of an iPhone 8. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got a monologue for like 30 minutes why that phone is a better phone and a better investment and, and, and stuff like that. But on a rational level, none of those arguments were actually, actually true. Is that what he was trying to do? Just to rationalize uh, uh, the act that he did before buying yeah, the iPhone Yeah, he's X? trying to justify what he did because yeah. it feels good for us. People don't feel good about things that are not consistent with what they think. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we change what we think to make that consistent with what we did. Yeah. So I bought this chocolate bar. Well, I must have really, really earned it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll, I'll, I'll try to eat healthy tomorrow. Yeah. And, and, but today, <laughs> no, I already ate a chocolate bar at lunch. So now I can order a pizza because who cares? Is it yeah. like that? 
Yeah, it's the same with uh, the student associations. Mm -hmm. They have this this ritual at the beginning of their uh, membership, mm -hmm. uh, in which they are well, they they are dared to do things. Yeah, well. Yeah, the hazing. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's the hazing, and and the they have to do the most horrible things, which they can't even talk about. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's actually really smart of these student associations because it makes people um, more committed to your student association eventually, mm -hmm. because people. Um, do things they would never ever do because of group pressure that's yeah. that's a thing that works there yeah um and afterwards they go and rationalize because what would possibly be the reason for me to do something <laughs> like that okay i must have really 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 wanted to be a part of that uh, student association yeah so that boosts loyalty yes and they actually um by by doing that, like the student association and their membership more, yeah, because they've worked harder for it, so it must be worth a lot. Because I would think, uh, I don't think that's still the case, uh, because we were discussing earlier, like trials are really important because people have started using using them. I think, well, I started the trial, I might as well might as well buy it because uh, for some reason I I did the trial, so now I have to be loyal to the company. Is that how yeah, it works? That's called commitment. All right. And, um, but but it's the other way around with the student association. They're trying to make the start as hard as possible so that you stay committed till the end. Yes. But for marketers, well, you don't make buying your product as hard as possible just to get people committed. But <laughs> but that's the other way around, like you said. Well, commitment does work two ways. Um, you have the foot in the door technique. Mm -hmm. And that's offering a small thing first, a small product first, and then try to offer them a bigger product because mm -hmm. they've already said yes, so they're more likely to say yes to the next thing you offer. Mm -hmm. um, and there's the door in the face technique, uh, which you offer something really big of which you know they're going to say no. Yeah. Um, uh, and then after, you offer them something smaller, which yeah. they're probably going to say yes to because they already feel so guilty that <laughs> they said no to, <laughs> to uh, a thing you offered before. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, also kind of based on the reciprocity technique, mm. which, well, when I give something to you, you give something to me. So when you say no to me, don't say no to me next time. That's that's a process that's underlying to that. Now we discuss a lot of techniques, and a couple of times we said, "Oh, that's that's not good. That's awful." <laughs> how about the ethical side of this? Um, how do you and your company manage this for yourself, for example? Um, well, we talk about it a lot. I think that's really important when you're working with behavior. Mm -hmm. um, people have to make be able to make their own decisions. We mm -hmm. want to push them, uh, but. What we think is right depends on, uh, first of all, what what we're trying to push. Uh, sure. Are we trying to push them uh, to smoke? <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't do that. But, yeah. but that's what you have to think about. What are you trying to push uh, push them to do, and and how important is that? Mm -hmm. uh, if it's very important to us, for example, with road safety, I yeah. think we can go really far to to make sure there are not any more victims sure. uh, from traffic accidents. Um, but when we're trying to, to sell them stuff, well, it, I don't really feel comfortable with using the, the most powerful techniques I, I, I can think of. Mm -hmm. um, when, it, when it doesn't harm them, harm them, then okay. But when we're trying to sell sugar to, to children or uh, energy drinks or um, when we're trying to make people to go to a casino, mm -hmm. uh, that's when we start thinking, okay, what are we doing and yeah. what are we trying to accomplish here? Because... Um, it's uh, we kind of feel responsible. Yeah. 
Uh, and the other thing is you have to think of which techniques you use. And mm -hmm. we think it's very important to protect the autonomy people have. That's mm -hmm. why nudging is such a popular technique because mm -hmm. people are still um, making their, their own, own choices. They're yeah. free of making their own decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, and we try to, to make sure that we, we push them and we help them and we accompany them, but we, we don't force them into anything. In the end, what we do is for the people and uh, not just for the clients, it's mm -hmm. for all of us. And um, that sometimes it can sound a little harsh that some organizations want to, to steer the behavior of their clients. or yeah. um, But in the end, we all just want to help each other and make that process a little easier. So if that's the, the goal, then we're, we're all in. Okay, so booking.com calls, what do you say? <laughs> I'd say let's let's see if we can make your really annoying tricks a little <laughs> softer so that the experience people have on your website is a little less fearful, a little more comfortable. Because I believe that what they do, it works like a charm. It's really good. Mm -hmm. uh, they really know how to, to make people make decisions very quickly. But I think that they've proven enough. They are actually a really good site for... for uh, finding your uh, accommodation. Sure. Um, but the, the value they offer is enough to, to not have to need those mm. kinds of techniques. Those tricks, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I always end with asking you if you have some final tips that you would like to share with uh, the marketers out there. I think what you just did is a, is a valuable tip to, uh, to use the techniques, but don't overdo it. Mm -hmm. uh, and look at the ethical side. Anything else, some thoughts to share? Well, the most important thing is um, the, to consider that people are not always rational and they're most of the times they're not rational mm -hmm. uh, and you can help them um, making decisions according to the system one um, mm -hmm. by, by um, changing their environment or the communication or anything. You can help them make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing is, is don't just look at what motivates people, but also look at what what uh, withholds them from, mm -hmm. from um, behaving in a certain way. Uh, because sometimes it's the psychologi psychological barriers that are very, very uh, uh, well invisible to mm -hmm. people yeah. that have so much impact on behavior. And when you, you're able to, to identify those barriers and take them away, mm -hmm. you're so much more powerful. All right. Great advice. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much also for your time and uh, for sharing your wisdom here on the podcast. Thank you, Dirk. This topic is so interesting that we could have talked for hours, but we tried to keep our episodes 30 minutes-ish. But I promise you we will cover this subject again in the future. If you were inspired by the conversation with Dirk here, please let us know in your review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, or in the email to dennis at thebetterdifferent.com. We hope to be in your ear very soon, Thanks for listening and good luck on your mission to kill mediocrity.